I remember flying into Denver Airport, very hungry, tired, because I had a very long flight delay. I needed food to eat, so I walked to the restaurant. Upon reaching my hotel, they were closed. Fortunately, I saw a vending machine, so I slid in my $20 bill. I waited for a snack to keep me asleep over the night. I waited, waited, and waited. Nothing dropped. So I tapped the vending machine. Perhaps sleeping, let me wake you up. Nothing happened. Out of frustration and anger, Disappointed, of course. I said, let me make my way back to my hotel room and just go and have a very long, hungry night. Then I noticed a small piece of paper on the floor. That caught my attention, so I picked it up. And I read, out of order. <laughs> Is there anything in your life that is out of order? Let us pray. On this Ascension Sunday, we ask that you will speak to us. Let your truth come to liberate us. And to some of us, you might be inviting us to Perhaps something new today. We submit this time to you and ask that you show us your grace and your mercy as we depend on your Holy Spirit to make this moment a glorious one and a reward to the Lamb of God who was slain for our sins. I bring myself under your authority, Holy Spirit, that you will speak through me. O oh Lord, our God, I ask that you will take hold of me and let it be that it is only your word that will come to us. In Jesus' name, amen. In today's text that our sister read, Virginia. Jesus identified an out-of-order situation. Last week, our brother Kevin shared with us how Jesus fulfilled the law. And also from last week, we learned that we need to be like Jesus, particularly that our righteousness needs to be more than that of the Pharisees. In other words, the way we relate to God and relate to one another should follow after Jesus' example. 
and not the Pharisees. From a text we read today, we can see Jesus addressing some issues. I'll bring just three to us. The first thing he did was to help the Pharisees reevaluate their self perception. And the second thing he did was to help them see how they can live practically the first teaching within the faith community. Then Jesus extended that beyond the faith community as well. Jesus here shows us that there should be a proper view of ourselves. In verse 21 and 22, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Then he went ahead to say, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, who, anyone who says to a brother or a sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Friends, these two verses begins the journey of Jesus correcting the misinterpretation and therefore the misapplication of the teaching of the Old Testament. Jesus said, Yes, you have heard the tradition of men. So that pay attention to the physical act of murder. But I want to invite you to consider what precedes the physical action. Like Jean and Stan demonstrated to us this morning, God is interested in our thoughts and our words because they are consequential. Jesus offered a deeper meaning to the sixth commandment, and in so doing, demolishes the illusion of self-righteousness of the religious leader. The first thing that Jesus addressed is the emotions of anger. Of course, Jesus is not saying anger is totally wrong. We have appropriate anger. Sometimes we call them holy indignation, holy anger. But what Jesus is addressing is the anger, the desire to destroy a brother or a sister. I'm sure you remember the story in Genesis chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, and verses 8 as well, where we saw the first record of murder. The Bible records that the Lord looked with favor on Abel's and his, offering, on Abel's and his offerings, but on Cain, his offering did not, was not looked with favor. So Cain was very angry. And we know what happened. 
while they were in the field, King attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Friends, when we don't manage our or control our anger, they are destructive. The second thing that Jesus addressed is what we call name-calling. Anyone who says to a brother or a sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. This word probably means empty-headed. Friends, name-calling is both a personal and a public affront. Listen to what John MacArthur shares about a young rabbi by the name Simon Eliza, who had just come from a session with his famous teacher. The young rabbi felt good about how he is becoming more godly, more pious, more holy, like his teacher. As Simon was walking, he noticed a gentleman sitting. And out of courtesy and respect, the gentleman greeted Simon. And Simon responded, You raka. How ugly, how different, lower class you and your people are. That, I don't know, the man answered. But go and tell the creator who created me and my people how ugly, how different, how lower class, and perhaps how less human we are before the rabbi's eyes. Friends, the words that we speak they either build or they tear down. But not only that, the word that we speak towards our brothers and sisters reaches to their creator. And either acknowledge what the creator has done or in a way challenges what the creator has done and said about his creation as well. The third thing that Jesus addressed in terms of correcting the misinterpretation of the Pharisees is insulting your brother and your sister. Now, Jesus is specifically addressing the relationship between brothers and sisters. In our own language, we say between Christians, between the disciples of Jesus. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of fire of hell. In other words, this person will be severely punished. I like what, how A.B. Bruce summarized the difference between calling someone Raka and you fool. He said, Raka expresses contempt for a man's or a woman's head. For instance, we say, you are stupid. 
then you fool expresses contempt for his heart and character. Brothers and sisters, angry thoughts and insulting words, you might argue may not ultimately lead you to commit murder. But Jesus makes the point that we need to watch. Why? Because in James 1, 21-22, it says, my brother, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You can see why it is important for us to control our anger. Because the outburst of anger can lead to murder, just as we have seen in the case of Cain and Abel. Not only are we to watch the emotions of anger, but John even takes it further to say that anyone who hates his brother or sister, such a person is equally a murderer. And Proverbs 12, 18 warns us that reckless words, they pierce like a sword. That is how destructive and uncontrolled anger can be. But not only that, this is how it, an untransformed word that is not brought under the lordship of Jesus can damage one. It pierces. It appears that Jesus is connecting the misinterpretation made by the Pharisees and the way we view ourselves. Or even vice versa. The way we view ourselves sometimes can impact the way we interpret scriptures. And therefore, we need to have a healthy self-perception. Just remember that you are created in the image and likeness of God. So is every human being. It doesn't matter what you think about them. It doesn't matter the value you attach to them. What matters is that God had created all in his image with dignity and worth. But not only that, that the life that God has blessed us with is sacred. We need to recognize that. 
Friends, Jesus did not only correct the thoughts and the words, or rather addresses the, 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 the thoughts and the words of the religious leaders, but also he challenged the way they perceived or they understood what worship is. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law know that God is their only object of worship. They know that from childhood. They know. They know why they need to bring offering to God. They know that. But they seem to pay little attention to their horizontal relationship. What they are obsessed about is their vertical relationship with God. Oh, I've sinned against God, therefore I need to bring offering to God so that my out-of-order relationship can be fixed, ignoring what, how their brother and how their sister is impacted by their words and their actions. As I think about this increasingly, I'm drawn to think, isn't this scandalous that Jesus will say what he said? Listen to what, uh, how John Stott translates this in our contemporary language. I think it should be on the slide as well. He says, if you are in the church in the middle of service of worship and you suddenly remember that your brother and your sister has grievances against you. Leave the church at once and put it right. Seek out your brother and your sister and their forgiveness. Then come and offer your worship to God. You can see why I said, isn't this a little bit scandalous? No. In a moment, I will show you why it is not. Because in John, 1 John 4, 19-21, I don't think we have this slide. It reads, if we love, sorry, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother and sister, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother and sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother and sister. In other words, if you cannot honor your brother and your sister that you see, you cannot honor God in worship that you do not see. That is what John is warning us against. Except you want to be like the Pharisees who lean towards human tradition and not the spirit and the intent of the word that God has given us. Do we have traditions that we follow that suggest that, hey, what matters is your worship to God, the way you love God. 
not how people are impacted by your, way, your actions or thoughts. Just think about that. Do we have such traditions that we lean towards, that we embrace so dearly that we're finding it difficult to let go? Here, Jesus is saying, your horizontal relationship is a reflection or it reflects how you, no, rather, yeah, how you, your vertical relationship is. In other words, as you come to worship, what you need to do is to do a self-examination. What have I said? What have I done that my brother might be angry or my sister might be angry? Or even, how have I participated in perpetuating what the culture had said about someone or a group of people? How am I participating in that kind of culture? We must critique our culture. Because that is what Jesus is doing to the Pharisees here. He's saying, hey, I get it that almost everyone is doing what you are doing. But that's not an excuse. You need to pay attention to what God wants you to do. And that is that worship is not just an individualized ritual. It is a corporate invitation from God to participate. Therefore, my worship will be acceptable to the degree that I pay attention to Dan's feeling. As a result of my action or words. Friends, I know that this sounds very hard. But this is because we are disciples of Jesus Christ. This is because Jesus knows that we can do this not on our own. This is because we are only responding to what has happened to us. Remember what I said earlier on. This address is to believers. There is an anticipation of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help us accomplish this. How is your worship? How is my worship? Of course you know what I'm asking. How is your horizontal relationship? How is my horizontal relationship? In Luke 17, 1 through 4, Jesus said to his disciples, Sins that will cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It will be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourself. If you, if your brother or sister sins against you and against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. If they sin against you, 
seven times in a day. Seven times they come back to you saying, I repent. Look at what Jesus said. You must forgive them. For reconciliation to happen, there must be repentance. For us to fix our broken relationship, we have to admit our wrong and apologize. Friends, those of us who are in Enneagram number nine, I suspect that you are beginning to be anxious already because I'm nine. Because we don't like confronting people. The way we resolve conflict is to avoid it. We just avoid it. Let the sleeping dog lies. Go in peace. But that is not what the gospel invites us to. That is not what Jesus is saying to Zach. Yes, I know that your Enneagram is, number, is nine. But you have to come out of your comfort zone. Confront your fears. And talk to Dan. Apologize to Dan. Sorry, I'm using it because it's right before me. So. <laughs> it's not because we, have, we had anything. But since it's right before me, Tom and Barb, I can call anyone. So you call opportunity. Just go and reconcile Zach's. I am your creator. I know that you struggle with this. But even before you were born, before the earth was created, I'd made an arrangement that you have a helper. Lean on that helper. He will help you. That is the Holy Spirit. Not only that, I've brought you into a community so that when you are struggling with this, you can walk to Tom and say, hey, Tom, I want to talk to Dan, but I'm struggling because of my Enneagram number. Can you help me, Barb? Can you help me pray? Can you help me? That is why we are a body. That is why it is possible for reconciliation to happen in the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, reconciliation is hard. But it's possible. It's possible because of the teachings of the gospel. For God modeled to us reconciliation. He did that. I'll read three of Paul's writing in three different letters, then give a summary and I'll be done. In Romans 5, 6 through 11, this is what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write. He said, you see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we through, the, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ 
No. Shall we be saved through his life? Not only this is so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom? We have now received reconciliation. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through uh, 20, it reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus, through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. And then Paul, in Ephesians, described to us what a reconciled community would look like. He said, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He did that by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to go through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who we are far away and peace to those who we are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. You can see that for God's reconciliation, he was motivated by what? Love. His love for us made him to reach out to us, although we are his enemies. Then Paul said, because of that, you are now a new creation. You have a new heart. A new relationship with God. A new family to depend upon. So that we might enjoy the peace of God. Therefore, reconciliation is the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to cooperate and obey him. The Holy Spirit. This is not human's work. But this is the Holy Spirit's work. And the second thing is that reconciliation is a process of discipleship. It's not just an event. It takes time for us to be fully reconciled. Even when I walk to Jean and said, I'm sorry. She might say, oh, Zach, I've forgiven you. Trust is earned over time. But we do that in the context of God's love. Friends, ultimately, reconciliation will fully be accomplished, be achieved when Jesus returns. Then we will enjoy shalom again. A flourishing life. But until then, we need to continue to depend on the Holy Spirit to work hard in reconciling amongst ourselves. And Jesus extended the conversation, said, negotiate with your adversary. 
In verses 25 and 26, he said, hey, settle matters quickly with your enemies. Settle it. Don't wait until it es escalates. So you can see the language that Jesus is using. He used reconciliation for believers. But he said, agree with those who are outside of the faith. Because for those of us who are Christian, we understand what reconciliation is because God had modeled that to us. Not so with those who are outside of the faith. What then is the implication for us? Can we try to avoid self-righteousness and self-justification? We must watch our thoughts and our actions. Watch our hearts and the intentions, the motivation behind some of the things that we do. Because they matter. It's a matter of discipleship. We are reconciled so that we can be reconcilers. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is what God had invited us. Everyone who is a believer is entrusted with a message of reconciliation. Everyone. No exception. The third point, I'm not sure it's up there. Friends, whoever you need to contact, let's do it. There is a sense of immediacy if you listen to Jesus' word. He said, leave your offering. Go and settle matters before you come and continue. Just imagine his first listener, who probably might be Galileans. And they're in Jerusalem. You're asking them to leave their offering there and travel back to Galilee. He said, do that. That is how urgent you need to do it in order for you to come and continue to offer your sacrifice. Let me conclude by speaking to two groups. The first group, the gospel is inviting you to answer this question. Do you have a relationship with God? Because that is where it begins. Do you have a relationship with God? God wants you to know and to experience his love. You might, be, you might have been hurt. The reason why you are far is because of what you've experienced in the past. You even doubt if there is anything called love, genuine love. This morning, you might be here or listening or watching. God loves you. This statement is true. He loves you. You can look at the cross and you will see how much he loved you. He loves you. Consider starting a relationship with him. You may want to talk to him today. That you want to start a new relationship with him. Pastor Ned and I will be happy to talk to you about that. And the second group is, 
you have a relationship with God. But even now, you're beginning to see that your horizontal relationship is out of order with people. It might be your spouse. It might be your friend, your colleague. It might be your child. It might be your neighbor. It might be that stranger that you met very briefly. But somehow you still can contact them. Friends, do what the gospel, what Jesus demands us to do. Simply go and be reconciled to them. Brothers and sisters, just as that vending machine that was out of order and cannot fulfill its function unless it is fixed, so is our worship with God. Only when we fix our horizontal relationship would our worship be acceptable. Peter even said, men, watch so that your prayers are not answered because of a conflict between you and your wife. That is how Peter puts it. Are you willing to allow your thoughts and your words to be transformed so that your actions as well are transformed. Are you willing to say, hey, I'm done with just religion, the traditions of men. I want to have a worship that pleases God, that God is proud of that God looks at me with delight and great joy. It's possible. It's also possible for you to live with some sort of agreement with your neighbors who are not Christian because the burden is on us, not on them, because we have been reconciled to God.